Welcome to the Chicago Business Review, where we introduce you to some of the most successful and sharpest minds from my hometown, Chicago, so that you can find out the secrets that have helped these professionals achieve massive success. If you want to accelerate your growth in your personal and professional life so that you can do more, have more, give more, and ultimately live the life you've always desired, then sit back and stay tuned in because you are in the right place. I'm your host, Young Lee, and you are listening to the Chicago Business Review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chicago Business Review. I'm your host, Young Lee, and I am so excited for this week's guest. We are going to have on Chris Larson, and he is the founder and managing partner for Next Level Income. Chris has been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years. While he was a college student, he bought his first rental property at the age of 21. And from there, Chris expanded into development, private lending, buying distressed debt, as well as commercial offices, and ultimately syndicating multifamily properties. He began syndicating in 2016 and has actively been involved in over $400 million of real estate acquisition. Chris is also passionate about helping investors become financially independent. And he has this amazing book, Next Level Income, that we will be discussing. And he will be sharing a copy of that with you if you are interested. So please do not wait any further and help me in welcoming in Chris Larson. Chris, thanks so much for making the time today. We really appreciate having you on. Young, I'm fired up doing some jumping jacks with you before the show. So I'm ready to go here, man. That's right. That's right. We wanted to make sure our energy is good because I'm so excited. As you know, I am a real estate professional. So anytime I can bring on other real estate professionals that are doing just amazing things. Uh, I have to talk to them. And we've been connected by a couple mutual friends of ours. And we were able to have a conversation. I was just so impressed with all of the things that you are doing. So I'm so excited for this week's episode more so than most. But Chris, <laughs> first off, could you just give us or the listeners a little glimpse of like, what you're doing now and what your days tend to look like. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned in the intro a little bit, you know, over 21 years now I've been investing in real estate. Actually, it's ticking over to 22, I think. So I'm, I, that's more than half my life ago that I, I started. Uh, today, Next Level Income, uh, if you check out the website, it's an educational platform. So as you mentioned, I'm passionate about teaching others about how to achieve financial independence and then also giving them the opportunities. So day to day, I do some coaching. So I have personal one-on-one clients that I work with that are you know, executives, sales professionals, small business owners, and I help them optimize their, their plan and ultimately their investment strategy. And we talk about the make, keep, and grow strategy in my book that you showed here early in the show. And we'll 
uh, like I said, you can get one on my website, nextlevelincome.com. But the make, keep, grow strategy is built that way because, you know, I think it's important to learn learn a craft, a skill, a specialty, you know, whether you're a real estate professional or a surgeon about how to make money, how to create value. Once you create that capital, how do you keep that in an efficient manner and then ultimately grow it? And that's the other piece of our business, which is real estate syndications. So most of what we do is multifamily and self-storage. And we allow investors to come in alongside of us and share in these opportunities and hopefully give them more of an opportunity to build their passive income and ultimately achieve financial independence. Yeah, no, there was a lot in there and I'm excited to dive into all of it. And I know that you're such a great person about giving back and training other people and really trying to provide value and help. Like you said, nextlevelincome.com is more of an educational site because you do want to help people achieve that financial freedom in their life. And I know even in your book, you discussed about you know, you could make 250000 you could make $750,000 a year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are financially free. Now, going backwards, though, what do you think got you into real estate investing or going down this path? Because I know you have your MBA as well, and a lot of people might have gone a more traditional path. What do you think uh, led you down this path? Yeah, so that, that's it's a big story, but I'll try to I'll try to keep it uh, as brief here as possible. Young, so my passion when I was young was racing bicycles, and when I look back now, it's it's this connection of freedom, and I'll never forget the first time I got on my bike and I rode outside of my neighborhood. And I just remember feeling like, man, I'm growing up. I got this sense of freedom. And I think for me riding the bike, it really meant, you know, it meant freedom. It meant getting to ride to my friend's house across town. It meant to, you know, uh, when I started racing, you know, hop in a car and travel up and down the East coast, fly across the country and race bicycles. And, you know, is, is that passion developed for, for cycling? I raced into college. I was the president of the cycling team. And all I wanted to do was be a professional cyclist. But I went to school for biomechanical engineering. I knew two weeks in, I didn't want to be an engineer though. <laughs> so I was racing my bike. And during that period, a family friend gave me a money magazine. And it had this article about a Roth IRA and compound interest. And I'll never forget that picture of that you know, that curve of compound interest on that page. So I started a Roth IRA, started a Vanguard account, I'm still racing my bike. Well, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, my best friend, my roommate, my training partner, Chris Strader passed away. We're actually coming up on his uh, anniversary here. Um, and that was, that was uh, 1997. So it'd be uh, 24 years ago that that happened. And the next year I was, I was probably depressed. I raced my bike. I didn't want to go to school. And my, my bike was my therapy. But after a year, when I started to kind of come out of this, I was winning races. I was really fit. And I was, I was set to go pro. But I'll never forget, I won his memorial race for the second year in a row. And I wasn't happy. It gave me no satisfaction. So for somebody that spent, you know, at that point, about six years of my life, like really my entire adult life, racing and dedicated to something, riding 20 to 30 hours a week. It's really weird to feel hollow when you're kind of reaching the pinnacle 
of what you've been off to. So I quit, long story short, I quit cycling, went back to school. My grades were suffer, had suffered that past year and I still wanted freedom. I started getting interested in the stock market in the 90s, not just from investing, but also day trading. But the moment I decided to look into real estate was 3 a.m. one morning when I was laying there in bed, just stressed out about the markets and thinking about it. I was like, I don't want to do this 20 years from now. So I read 250 books, got my MBA um, in portfolio management. But along the way, I learned all about real estate. So I bought, bought a property, age 21. A year or two later, bought my second property um, and continued to build that portfolio. Um, but I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't come from big means. So I looked for a career that would would provide me capital to invest, as I mentioned, that make the make part of the make keep grow strategy. And I spent 18 years in the med device industry, but all the time my plan was to put this money into cash flow, passive investments, and real estate. So what got me interested was that initial sense of freedom. Ultimately, I feel that real estate, the ability to control, to negotiate price, but also to use leverage allows people like myself in college with less than $3,000 in their bank account to go and buy their first property. I think it's just amazing what real estate can do for anyone if you're listening. That's an incredible story and such an amazing journey that you have been on. So you pick up your first investment property while you're still in college. Why the 18-year gap in between like picking up the property, you see that, you know, you're generating cash flow of a certain extent. Um, why then 18 years before you fully dove back into it as a, like a career path? Well, that's why I wrote my book because I, I tell people like real estate's a great get rich slow scheme. And <laughs> I wrote my book to help people shortcut the path that took me probably, you know, five or 10 years too long. So my original plan was really simple. I just wanted to buy enough properties to have $10,000 coming in a month after expenses, not before, not before debt service, but after expenses. And I thought if I can have these properties paid off $10,000 a month, again, adjusted for inflation, because it would go up with as rents went up, you know, I thought 15 years, you know, before I'm 40, you know, I'll be, I'll be financially independent. So I, I fell in love with MedDevice and I really enjoyed the experience of being in an OR. I worked in spine and orthopedics and I got to work with geniuses every day, you know, orthopedic spine surgeons, brain surgeons, neurosurgeons. And I, I really enjoyed that. I went into leadership and really enjoyed mentoring and kind of coaching and developing business. Um, but ultimately it's a, it's a really tough demanding industry. You're on call. I mean, I worked, you know, weeks on end at 1.7 months in a row. I worked uh, without a day off. You know, I spent nights, like I spent three nights in a row in the hospital. I worked, you know, 72 hours straight at one point. So it's, it's very demanding to put it bluntly. And, you know, I had children and, and we grew. So as, as the passive income grew and, you know, we reached, we reached the point of financial independence. Uh, what happened was, you know, conversations evolved and people said, well, what are you doing? So as my portfolio went from single family to multifamily in my early 30s, about 10 years ago, and I started sharing that with people, what I found was people wanted to be involved as well. So about five years ago, we started syndicating deals. And if you've not heard that term before, syndication is simply uh, a way to bring in investors, partners in on a deal, if you will, and, and buy a property together as a group. So what I found out was there was this whole desire for people that I knew to become involved in doing what I was doing. And again, that's, that's the same desire and need through conversations that led me to start coaching because I realized a lot of people want to know the shortcuts to figure out how to achieve financial independence. Quick story. I talked to a 27-year-old couple yesterday and 
you know, they were like, wow, like, you know, it's how, how can we do what you do? And I'm like, you guys are 15 years behind me. I said, but you're actually ahead of where I was, you know, and they're thinking like, we're, you know, we're, we're, we have so far to go. I'm like, you guys can easily do what I did in 15 years. So again, there was a gap there partly by choice because I was doing something I enjoyed doing. Um, but also because I had to learn the hard way. I would have gone into multifamily 10 years sooner. You know, I didn't make my first multifamily investment until I was about uh, 33, 34 years old. Whereas I bought my first, you know, single family property at 21. So I wish, I wish it was 23, not 33 that I decided to go into multifamily. Yeah. And you talk about just that, uh, coaching and mentorship and, uh, which we'll get into a little bit more, but why do you think it takes people some time to get into multifamilies versus single families? Cause I know as a real estate professional, most of the people I work with look for, yeah, single doors, whether it's a townhome condo or a single family house. Why don't people get more into multifamilies? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, first off, let me say, I think buying a single family property, whether it's for a rental or a fix and flip or uh, like an Airbnb, a short-term rental is is fantastic. It's a strategy that, uh, you know, that 27-year-old couple, I, they have a property that has another home on it that they're going to renovate and do a short-term rental. And then they're going to actually fix and flip their house that they're in now. So I think that's great. The difference is, you know, here's a couple that, you know, was just able to pull together enough money to buy one house, one, one property, whereas they're not accredited. They can't invest in some of these partnerships that we do. And, and a lot of times the minimums in these deals prevent people from investing if they don't have six figures to invest in something. Now, part of our mission is, is spreading the word about this and allowing people to learn all the benefits so I think part of it is practical. You know, it takes a little bit of time to build that capital to invest in these bigger deals. But then the other part is it's it's kind of been this well-kept secret young for a long time. And only now as the explosion of social media happens, you know, we have podcasts, I can go out and, and talk about this. And then you also have crowdfunding. I think we're going to see, you know, crowdfunding sites continue to offer opportunities like this to people. And it's going to take the minimum investment down from say 100,000 to 10,000 to 1,000 and eventually Eventually, people are going to be able to buy like a fractional share as you look at cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies where people can basically fractionalize ownership and then it'll be more liquid. It's going to be interesting to see what that does to real estate over time. Huh. Yeah, no, that's that's a great answer. And uh, I didn't even think about the, the changes moving forward. But uh, yes, you're right with the increase in social media and just the awareness of all of these things and people wanting to get into them. But the high barrier of entry that it used to be and trying to accommodate that so that more people can invest, um, that will be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. Uh, so I'm sure that while you were on this journey, you threw out a crazy stat of reading 250 books. But what do you think were some of the biggest influences in your life to get you to this point, whether it is a person or instructor or a book or anything like that? Yeah. So my father passed away when I was five. And what's interesting is my mom, I'd come home, I'd have a book from like Zig Ziglar and she'd be like, oh my gosh, your father read that book. And I, so I think there's a, there's a genetic curiosity that I have, you know, this entrepreneurship. And I think, you know, entrepreneurs are, they're curious. 
people that are are trying to go out and 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 find solutions to problems that are out there. So I think you know part of it is there. But uh, Clint Provenza was a family friend um, through church, and he introduced me to cycling. He's the one that kind of incentivized me to start racing, and he's also the one that gave me that Money Magazine. He was a huge influence. I I thank him in my book. So if you get a if you get a copy, you'll see right there in the beginning. Yeah, I've done um, that. Yeah. Also, my parents, even though they didn't really push me into this. My stepfather and my mother owned a small portfolio of single family rentals. So I knew that this was a viable business, but I got to do things like shovel shingles and lay wood floors when I was young. And I was like, this isn't really fun to, to do. Whereas my stepfather <laughs> was a contractor and it was what he did every day. So it made sense from an economic perspective for him to be able to do these things to manage his portfolio. But ultimately there was, you know, there was multiple books out there. Um, obviously, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the mentality of thinking like a business owner, like an entrepreneur was huge. And that's where I, I read about becoming accredited. And I knew if I was accredited that I could have access to investments that the ordinary ordinary person didn't have. And that's, again, why I talk about the make, keep, grow strategy. You know, if you can get to that point where you're making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year, which again, if you're listening, you think that's that's a big number. It's achievable. You just have to have the right focus, and the opportunities are out there for you. So, um, again, I think it was you know my parents, my 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 genetics slash upbringing, uh, family friend Clint Provenza, and then you know in 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 and amongst those you know two three hundred books I read, certainly Robert Kiyosaki and that mindset and learning how to become accredited was was something that I had you know on the horizon to help me get there. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And reading through your book, it seemed like. Yeah, there were so many different factors from like your father being more of an entrepreneurial spirit there. And then the experience that you had, I believe, with your grandfather, like having difficulty at the end and not wanting to deal with the politics. But even though he had a quote unquote, very successful career and job, it's still, you know, anything can change at any moment when you're working for somebody else. And so... seeing those things from an early age and then also, yeah, realizing, you know what, maybe I want something different and then pursuing that is amazing. And then, yeah, having your, your, your mother and your stepfather kind of in the business as well. And just seeing it growing up, all planting those seeds for you to eventually be doing this. Now, uh, I guess for, somebody who's looking to get into real estate investing, like just they haven't done it. What would you recommend is maybe like the most important first step or things that they should look for that maybe you had to figure out on your own and learn the hard way or something like that? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, I always, so with my coaching clients, the first thing I do is say, paint a vivid three-year vision for your life. So, I mean, it should be it should be so crystal clear. It should have everything in it. So if I pick it up and read it, I should see this vision in my head just like you do and, and get excited about it. It should be exciting to you. And that's something that should be you know, your guiding light as you move forward. Um, if, if we're talking about real estate specifically, so let's say you're, you know, let's say you're young or you're older, you're professional or you're a young entrepreneur, you have to consider what will fit within your life, within your current career. And I'm a big fan of having both 
active real estate investment and passive real estate investments. So, you know, you could, like we did, we built spec homes. We've also had our own personal rentals that we managed and we invest in partnerships. Now we have surgeons that, you know, they make a lot of money. They're very busy and they prefer just to be a passive investor. You know, others say, you know, like this young couple, they say, hey, we want to invest in these passive investments, but we need to generate income. So maybe they do a fix and flip to get there. So once you have your vision and you decide what is interesting to you from an active and passive side or a combination of the two, then you need to find somebody who's walked the path that you want to go on to get to the destination. And once you find that person, you need to you need to bring in a mentor or a coach to not only provide you the shortcut and the tips to get there, but also the accountability. And that's something I didn't have early on. We originally, when we started our syndication business, worked with a group and consultants that we partnered with on our first deal. But man, I wish, like I said, I did that 10 years sooner and got down there because I, I certainly could do it. So a clear vision, something that fits your lifestyle, you know, with respect to the active and passive strategy with real estate, and then finding a mentor or coach to give you the shortcuts and the accountability. Those are the three things I would look for if you're getting started on your real estate journey. That's awesome. And I hope you guys are listening. Really, Chris just broke down exactly almost the secrets to success, which is you got to have a clear vision for whatever you want to achieve. If you can't envision it, you're never going to achieve it. It's like you're trying to get to a destination with no map. It just makes it that much harder. And then what Chris said and what he also now does in terms of giving back is finding that coach or mentor that can give you the shortcut, that can give you those answers, that can provide those outside eyes for you when you know, you can't necessarily see stuff because you're in the thick of it or you haven't had the experience yet. And so you just don't know how it's going to play out. But those things, it seems to be a common theme with all of the people that we have on the show is you got to have a coach, you got to have a mentor, which I do. And Chris does. I do too. Absolutely. Yeah. Paying, even though he is coaching people, he still has a coach because you can't ever stand still. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And so it's so important to continue to grow your boundaries uh, in that regard. And that's the easiest, fastest way to do it. And people always think like, oh, I can't afford to do that. And it's really the opposite. It's like, you really can't afford not to do it because if you don't do it, you're going to spend so much more money trying to figure it out on your own. And another thing you talk about is uh, stop trading time for money. It's like, that's another thing. It's like, you can't keep trading time for money. As we're both older and we have children, we realize how fast time goes. And so, yeah, you you don't want to ever do that. And so, uh, incredible. Now you're talking about, now you've scaled it up quite a bit and now you are syndicating deals. Can you go a little bit more into detail about what that is? Is that like smaller projects, larger projects, and how that whole um, process works? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So... Um, again, we still do, we, my wife and I still do our own local deals around Asheville. I still, I just love deals. You know, I love looking at deals, love doing <laughs> things. I don't do all the deals, you know, I, but I, I like connecting people that are doing deals together when it comes to the multifamily. So again, we do multifamily, we do self-storage. We also have some other 
options. If, if you want to learn about that, I know, Young, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the best thing to do is to go to the website and click invest, and we can set up a time to talk more about that um, with respect to um, our investments for different investors. But for, from the multifamily perspective, I dive deep into the book. So again, nextlevelincome.com, just click on the book link. I'll send you, you a copy if you're listening today. I go through the whole strategy. So to summarize it, we like to invest in large and growing markets. So we're going into areas like the Southeast, big growing area right now. People are moving from the Northeast. They're moving from you know, high-tax states that are cold with you know, a really high cost of living and low quality of life in a lot of circumstances to places like Raleigh, like Charlotte, uh, like Greenville, South Carolina, where we just closed the deal this week, like Orlando, Florida, that's one of the top five markets in the country right now. It's just absolutely booming. You have to see it for yourself. It's incredible. Not that I don't love Chicago, by the way, but you have a lot of people moving <laughs> from understand. you know from high tax states and areas like that into places like yeah. like Florida that you know tend to be business friendly and it's it's warm and sunny, right? Um, right. So you, you're probably nodding your head if you hear that. So it's not rocket science. Once we identify those target markets, we're typically looking to buy properties that are 200. Or above units, so you know apartments with 200 units or more. 150 is is within our range, but a little small. But the reason we look at those size properties is that there are economies of scale. So if you think about a property like a business, you need employees, you need people to manage that property. That means you need cleaners, you need managers to rent the property, you need maintenance and repair people, you need security personnel. Well, if you have a 100-unit property or 50-unit property, you still need one of all those people, but they may be able to do two or three times you know, the size of the property. So when you get to a property that's three or four times that size, now you can hire multiple people. That means if somebody calls out sick, you got a backup. If you have another property in the market, that's the second piece of our strategy. We like to have multiple properties in that market. Then you can shift employees around and it's just, it's a better quality of life for them. It's, it's better economies of scale, lower cost for us. And then we target what we would call like higher end value add properties. So young, we're typically buying properties that were built in 1995 or later, and we're going in and we're making either operational improvements or we're making capital improvements. So the property we bought in Greenville was built in 1997. We're putting about a million and a half dollars into that property in exterior improvements and interior improvements. Now, if you're thinking like, all right, that's great. Why do you do that? The reason is it's a lot like fixing up a house. If you can go in there and you can make these improvements, one, you increase the desire for the property so people want to rent it and they'll pay more to, to live there. Now, here's the really neat thing. And this is why I call it the holy grail of real estate. Aside from the fact that it has, it has one of the lowest risk profiles based upon the return that these properties give, but you actually have control of the value. So an apartment is valued like a business. So it's run like a business and it's valued like a business. So as you decrease operational expenses through efficiencies and you increase revenue through through rents after you make these improvements, you increase the net operating income, which is the difference in those two. And that net operating income is what determines the value of the property. So if you buy a property making a million dollars a year and you increase that to $1.5 million a year, all things being equal, you've increased the value of that property 50%. And that's why we're able to give investors income appreciation, and also you get depreciation benefits. And if you're familiar with real estate, then you're not in your head. There's always depreciation involved typically, um, which is a nice, a nice blend of those three in this, in this asset class. No, that was an incredible masterclass on 
what Chris and his group are doing. And of course, you could get more information, go to the website, Next Level Income, and then get the book. Uh, he's offering a wealth of knowledge for free for you guys. So please, please, please check it out. And Chris is one of the most giving and nicest people that I've met. And so he's happy to be of a resource as much as possible. And that's why his website is more knowledge based as well. So you guys got to check it out, even if you're remotely interested in real estate investing. So Chris, you're talking about like uh, buying these properties, fixing them up, making them more efficient. What is kind of the goal? Do you hold on to them for a period of time? Do you guys that try to have an exit strategy of selling them off? Like, uh, or is it a case by case scenario? Excellent question. So especially if you're an investor, that's a question you always want to know. Like, what's the exit strategy? How do I get my money back? How do I make my money? Right. So if if you listen to what I was describing before, we acquire a property, you get in there, you figure out what needs to be done. And by the way, we're we're figuring all that stuff out before we actually close on the property so we can hit the ground running. But you get in there, let's say you spend the first year figuring things out. It still is going to take you a couple of years to make all these improvements. And that's part of the magic of being an operator. You have to put the accelerator down and make these improvements as quickly as possible to increase income as quickly as possible. That's really where the rubber meets the road. And that process, let's say it takes three years, we're typically looking to hold these properties three to seven years. That's going to optimize the ability for us to get in there, maximize the income in that property through the strategy that we're employing, and then have an ample time to market the property and sell it before we look for another property to do it all over again. And if if you're familiar uh, with the term 1031 or a 1031 exchange, a 1031 is where you can sell a property and you can buy a like-kind property. So let's say you sell a 100-unit property for $10 million and you buy a 200-unit property for $20 million. You can take that profit and roll it into that next property tax-free and continue to grow your money and your wealth and delay paying taxes. So... It's, it's, it's one of those wonderful strategies that you can use. And at the end of my book, I talk about generational wealth. So, you know, you can, this is something you can use to grow the wealth of your family in a very efficient way for generations to come. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, again, I'm such a big proponent of just investing in real estate, having your money work for you. And as you mentioned earlier, the, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki was such a, just a mind shift for me as well in terms of just understanding how you can utilize money to your advantage and utilize assets and leverage and things like that. That's why I was so excited when we got connected and that you agreed to be on the show because this is something I want people to understand that there are different ways of thinking at which you can generate that money. And Chris said, like, you know, when he mentioned like, you know, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year. And to some of the listeners, that sounds like an astronomical number, but there are ways at which you can achieve that type of lifestyle if you just focus in and have a clear strategy and understand that there are so many different ways at which you can generate wealth and income. So I love that part. Now, I know you can't talk uh, specifically numbers about potential deals or deals that you have in the works and things like that, but 
for people that are like, you know what, I don't have the time to buy these properties myself. I don't want to manage them. I don't know a property manager, uh, but I want to get into real estate investing and what Chris is talking about sounds amazing. How does it work if an investor wanted to partner with you guys on like one of these deals? Yes, I can walk through the process. So again, I mentioned a little bit earlier, and the, you know the reason we don't talk about returns, young, is because every deal is is specific, and the returns are specific to that. Um, and listen, if you're interested, you know there's there's a few things you need to consider. Wh- whether you talk to us or other operators out there, you need to look at the markets you're interested in. Make sure you're comfortable with those markets. Make sure you're comfortable with the operator that they have experience in the strategy that you're investing in. Then make sure you're comfortable with the returns. But investors in this space can typically expect returns on a monthly or quarterly basis from rents, which are typically, uh, let's call it mid single digit cash flow. So, you know, you know, typically better than you're going to get from a dividend stock. You can probably double or sometimes triple that number in terms of total return if you include appreciation. And again, there's depreciation benefits. So a lot of our investors, they're not paying tax while they're holding you know, these assets, which is really nice. So if you're a high income earner, you know, like you were mentioning, you're like, hey, I don't have the time to do this. I'm making a half a million dollars a year as a surgeon. You know, if, if you're getting a, you know, a, a return and you don't have to pay tax, that may be equivalent to getting like a 50% higher return than if you were paying tax. So it's pretty nice. When it comes to investing, you know, the big part after you've gone through that process of determining what markets you want to be in, the strategy, you know, the operators you want to work with, and if an investment makes sense, typically what an investor does is they fund this deal. And our group, what we do is we actually set up a separate entity, an LLC, that we fund along with our investors. And then that entity buys the property. And then what's neat is once you're an investor in that entity, it's just like owning the property yourself. You know, you get the same benefits, the income, the appreciation, the depreciation. You get all the reporting, you get the rent rolls, you get the income statements. But the great thing is you don't have to do any of the work after that. So okay. our investors, you know, they get they get a direct deposit in their account every month and they get their their monthly update from me and they get their quarterly reporting that goes on to our investor portal. And then, you know, a great thing is when, we, when you have a sale, which property sell two weeks ago, as a matter of fact, then you have the option, you know, do you want to, do you want to take your money back? Do you want to invest in another, in another property? And as operators, what we try to do is we try to give investors another great opportunity to invest in if they have an increase in their capital from a sale. So that means, you know, you can keep this strategy going. And, you know, that's what that's what I've always done with our investments. And look, you know, you can do the same thing with smaller investments. My first single family rental I bought at 21 Young, we did a 1031 exchange into a seven unit property in downtown Asheville. And you know, I talk, I've told the story on my website, you know, I bought that with less than $3,000 a month down I'm sorry, less than $3,000 down for that property. And now we make more than $3,000 a month off the property we did a 1031 exchange. So that's, you know, if, if you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, it's, I don't know if I have enough money, you can use this strategy, whether you're talking about a 300 unit apartment building or a small $90,000 townhouse like I got started with. That is incredible. And again, I hope. Everyone that is listening and watching is really hearing what Chris is saying because that's just an amazing story. And we've seen it happen as well, where yeah. people have bought, you know, their first property and use 
the power of leverage to help you accumulate an asset that then you can parlay into more assets or more opportunities. And people just think, oh, I can't do it. Oh, it takes too much money. Chris just gave an ex- a personal example of putting less than $3,000 down on a property. And of course, numbers will vary based upon your market, but it is not unobtainable. So, yeah. and we were talking also about how important time is. So please, again, check out the website, Next Level Income. He's giving you all of this valuable information for free. And if you want to find out more about investing with Chris as an operator, you can connect with him there as well. So, uh, man, there's just so much more. I'm so interested in this topic and such. How are you guys like looking for these deals? How do you find the deals? Do the deals just come to you at this point? Like, I wish. <laughs> uh, what, is, <laughs> what is kind of your process in terms of picking out these deals for your investors and for yourself and your group? Yeah. So that's the magic. Like, you know, you need, you need a team. And I talk about real estate being a team sport and that team needs to be in, in different areas. So, you know, if you, if you want to buy one of these deals, you need a few things. One, you need to have relationships in the market that you want to buy in. So that means you need people that are going out that are having relationships with brokers, with owners, with sellers of these properties. One of the unique things about the multifamily market is because these deals are so big, if I roll in and and start talking and I say, hey, young, like you have this apartment building, I want to buy it from you. You know, even if I come to you with all cash, if you say, well, do you have any experience doing this? Do you have a history in this market? Have you done this before? Even if I can get a loan and make it happen, if I'm paying all cash, you, you may not want to work with me because you want to work with somebody that you know is going to get the deal done. It typically takes about three months to go through due diligence and close the deal, sometimes longer. And if you have a $10 million property and you spend three months talking to somebody that gets kicking the tires and then can't sell it, and oh, by the way, maybe you're looking to buy another like a $20 million property, like in the example we talked about, that just ruins your whole plan for that. So, you know, Owners, brokers, sellers really value the relationships and working with people that are a good fit for that type of asset. So our team, we have a whole acquisitions team now headed up by my partner, Brandon. We just hired two super sharp young guys and they're on the road every week and better them than me because you know, young, like we yeah. talked about, which by the way, coming up on Father's Day, I'm not sure when this show is airing, but happy Father's Day. Um, happy I will Father's tell Day you, to you. Thank you. It's great to have a team that's out there doing this. So we stay in our lane, but they're building relationships in those markets. Now, the thing is, it's like fishing. You know, we cast all these lines into the water and then we're walking up and down the pier. And sometimes you get a hit on one line. Sometimes you get a hit on like two lines or three lines at a time. And you have to decide, okay, what what properties are we going to move forward on? And we always run through the numbers and we make offers based upon the price that works for us. So uh, we have a whole financial team, which is headed up by my other partner, Danny. And Danny, he, he's the one that runs through the analysis. I like to underwrite every deal personally as well, but goes through the underwrite, works through the financing options, insurance, all the financial pieces and knobs that are turned there, um, which ultimately is handed over to our asset management team 
after we acquire the property, which is run by a gentleman by the name of Brian. And Brian runs our asset management team. He used to manage a billion and a half dollar portfolio. So, you know, managing a half a billion dollar portfolio at this point is is not a big ask for him. Um, but again, like I mentioned earlier, that's where the rubber meets the road. So yeah, finding the deals is magic, but then figuring out the price to pay for those deals ultimately running those deals. And then where my part of the team comes in, where we actually raise the money and work with investors to educate investors and continue communication with the investors on the investor relations side is the last piece of that puzzle. And then we're all juggling all the balls in our own little space on a daily basis. Uh, Yep. And uh, again, it takes a team and you have to work with the right group of people. And that is so important in any industry is making sure that you surround yourself with knowledgeable and talented individuals. That's the best way to achieve success at a larger scale. So I know you guys have a ton of successes and that's how you've been able to to build this portfolio and help so many people create that wealth. Maybe earlier on in your career, were there any that didn't go so well and what you might have learned from that experience? Oh, yeah. So, and, and listen, <laughs> we, always, we always learn more from our failures, in my opinion, than yes. our successes. It's funny because my older son, I say it's funny, it's, um, this is a, a, a nice little analogy. My older son plays lacrosse, as does my younger son, and they played a tournament a couple of weeks ago. They went undefeated into the championship game and then lost the championship game. So, you know, we're, we're coming back in the car and, you know, I was kind of talking to my 11-year-old son about, you know, what, what he learned from it. And he was, he was pretty bummed, but he's going to remember that a lot more than if he won, in my opinion, that pain mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So for me, it wasn't just my personal failures. So I'll talk about kind of a deal that went a little sideways here in a minute, but my parents worked in real estate as well. So my father, a contractor, was manage, was managing a real estate company. My mother was working um, like as an assistant there in the office. And this was during the savings and loan crisis. I saw them both lose their jobs. So I remember that at a young age. Then I saw 9-11 happen and I saw what that did to the financial markets. And then I saw what happened in the financial crisis with real estate. And, you know, is, is a... As somebody who likes to see cycles and systems and you know has a long-term view, I started studying that and looking back through time and noticed that these things happen in real estate in cycles. And I think we have to be wary of that over the next five years, as I think, you know, as I, I predicted about a year and a half ago that we'd have a slowdown in 2020. This was in December of 2019 or January of 2020. I was talking about this. I didn't predict coronavirus. I wish I like, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. Don't get me wrong, yeah, but, uh-huh. but you can see the cycles in real estate. So I learned through, I learned through the systemic failures through observation because they directly impacted my family in the nineties, my career options when I came out of my MBA program in the early two thousands, my personal portfolio. So we'll get to, we'll get to the failure part now. So I started selling my portfolio right at the beginning of the market dip in uh, like 2000, I think early 2008, if I recall, it was March 2008, (laughs) I think. I watched a property drop about 10% in value in a week. And I thought, ooh, I 
I missed, I missed it. You know, I missed time that I started selling it off just a little bit too late. So I watched my, the value of my portfolio drop. So that was a, that was a bad choice in timing. Now they were all cash flow positive. I didn't suffer any, you know, serious losses in that portfolio. Um, but that was certainly, you know, something I learned from and, and have changed going forward with respect to, um, some choices. Uh, now let's pick a multifamily deal. So we had a multifamily deal. It was one of the first I invested in as a limited partner. I wasn't a, a general partner managing the deal. It was in Houston. So oh, I was on a tear. I mean, it was doing so good. The first year we bought uh-huh. it, um, investors got a big, a big refinance check out of it. Well, then the oil market crashes. We had a bad management team that had to be turned over because, you know, think, you know, it, it started to get tough in the property due to the economy. And then the hurricane blows through. Houston and blows the roof off of about 20 units. So here we have this trifecta of economic, local economic challenges, literally an environmental, you know, environmental disaster, and we have poor management. So that property, we actually, again, we didn't lose money on that property, but it was a, it was a really rough ride during that time. And the property significantly underperformed. So what I learned from that is it's good to diversify among markets, right? Like if you have a portfolio in one city, that can be dangerous if there's a big natural disaster, a big economic challenge in that one market. And then you also have to remember that what ultimately makes money in these deals, if you're buying the right deal, is how it's operated and managed on the backside. So you really want to make sure that if you're an investor, you're looking at those factors uh, as you make your investment decisions. No, that's that's so great. And you're right. Like investing, just history in general, you see that everything runs in cycles, no matter what it is. And yet, uh, and that's why from experience, <laughs> you start seeing yeah. the same patterns over and over and over again. But I was just listening to a podcast with Debo Sweeney, and he was talking about learning the wise people learn from other people's mistakes. That's right. <laughs> and so That's right. like, yeah. yeah, paying attention to what other people are doing. And that's why it's so important to read. That's why they say readers are leaders, but like, and having coaches and mentors kind of help navigate around those pitfalls that you may not have experienced yet. And you think, Oh, I've got it all figured out. I don't need a coach or a mentor. That's when you are set up to fail. And so just I having have, that humility oh, as well. Yeah. And I've spent, let's just say I, uh, I spend more annually now on coaching and, you know, masterminds in different groups than I made the first year I went out and worked. And I always make a multiple of it back. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's one piece of information or one relationship. I got into multifamily because I spent, I think my wife and I spent $15,000 on this uh, mastermind coaching program. And I was really disappointed in it. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, that was, that was kind of, I don't know if it was worth the money, but what happened was I, I met a gentleman who introduced me to a multifamily operator who I ultimately invested with. And that led to the shift in my portfolio and ultimately something that has provided just uh, amazing things for my family and something that I've gotten to share with you know now hundreds of investors. So again, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, if you think education is expensive, 
try ignorance, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's so true. Like, you know, people are like, you know what, you, you've been in this coaching thing, like, what more can you learn? But you know what, it's just that one piece of information, you could hear it for the 10th time. But for some reason, that time it clicked. Yeah. And it made a shift in your thinking, in your plan, and just completely changes the trajectory of your life. That's how I met my mentor is I was part of a, a, a coaching organization. I saw a speaker on stage and I was like, this gentleman is incredible. I have to get to know this guy. And then heard that he was going to be at a different mastermind group. I paid my, paid the, expensive ticket to be a part of it and blew myself out. And from that moment, I was able to then build a relationship with him. And to this day, he's my mentor as well as a good friend of mine. But that one decision changed the trajectory of my life. And so, love it. so yeah. important, man. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, I know I can't believe how fast the, the time is going here. We're already at like 50 minutes. And so I've kept you longer than I told you, but uh, I've just enjoyed our conversation so much. I feel like you've provided so much value and just knowledge to our listeners and viewers. So Chris, thank you so much again for taking the time to be a guest. Hopefully we can have you on again and we'd talk a little bit more in detail um, from Absolutely. the feedback that we get from people. But Everyone, please go to nextlevelincome.com. We'll have the website in the show notes so that you can go click on it, read, follow the information, get the book, get the book. He is giving you free, valuable information. So get that book as well and uh, reach out to him. He's on LinkedIn, linkedin.com, nextlevelincome.com. And they even have a Facebook page that you could connect with them as well. But please, if you guys can reach out, just show your appreciation for Chris because he spent an hour of his time just giving you guys a masterclass on different ways that you can create wealth and potentially generational wealth by sticking to a basic strategy of just make it, keep it, grow it. So Chris, thanks again, man. And although this won't air till afterwards, like we said, happy Father's Day to you. And uh, I'm so excited that we've gotten to connect and hopefully uh, we'll continue to connect. And uh, if you need anything from me, I'm always here because I, I consider you a friend now. So thanks again, Likewise, Young. No, thank you so much. I love what you do, all the education and information you provide to your audience. And I appreciate the opportunity to share it. Have a great day. And guys, if you found value in this, please share this podcast with your friends, spread the word. We want to continue to bring incredible guests like this that not only challenge the way that you're thinking, but can help you really make that shift in your life and hopefully be a benefit to you and to your friends and family. So thanks again so much, guys. And we will see you next time on the Chicago Business Review. Thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. I truly respect your time, so I hope this was valuable to you. And if you're a new listener, then thank you for checking out the show. 
And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes on our Facebook group, Chicago Business Review. Just go to Facebook and search Chicago Business Review so that you can find out all the latest info on future podcasts, get all the show notes, and network with other highly successful and driven entrepreneurs and professionals in Chicago. Also, be sure to contact me while you're over there and share any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations you have as well. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.